it makes you feel, well, really it sort of just reinforces the point pretty strongly that you are an outsider. Jan Fran is an award-winning Australian journalist who you might know from The Project or The Feed or her online opinion segment, The Frant. I have to confess something. Every time a politician starts talking about Australian values, I get a bit weird. Which she now makes for The Guardian. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. I am Jan Fran, joined by Katrina Blowers. I'm lucky enough to co-host the briefing podcast with her and I just love our chats off air. I knew she would make the perfect guest to talk about confidence. Sure, she's wildly successful. She's become a vintage fashion icon and she has a huge platform where she really speaks her truth now, but it hasn't always been an easy ride for her. It's this messaging that you'll see time and time and time again when you turn on the TV and everybody looks a certain way and you just you cannot see yourself. In this chat, Jan Fran shares the one thing from her childhood she finds really difficult to move past. And, you know, it's been over 15 years now and I'm not over it. And despite how she puts herself out into the world now, that confidence is still a work in progress for her. I had this kind of moment where I was like, I can't oh man, what if I suck? Like, what if I really suck and I get no laughs? And This is an insightful and real conversation where you'll get to know Jan Fran a whole lot better. I'm Katrina Blowers and this is Claiming Your Confidence. Jan Fran, this is so exciting because did you know this morning I actually spent some time researching you, which is kind of weird. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) What did you find? Uh, Nothing too crazy, I have to say. It was just just weird because you and I usually research topics together and then I was like, man, I'm researching you now. This is crazy. (laughs) Okay. I, I kind of, I feel both weird but flattered about that as well. Yeah, totally. What I would love to know is that there's not much out there about little Jan Fran. Like what? who were you like when you were little? Because you present now as such a confident, self-assured person, but were you always that way? Um, my parents will tell you I was, yeah. <laughs> I suppose they would have had a little bit more of a um, a glance into my life from where they were as adults and people kind of looking in. But um, I think I think yes is sort of the answer to that question, which is a bit of a weird thing to say because obviously, I mean, I was there when I was a child, but you don't really sort of know what you're like as a child because you are the child just being the child. Um, so I rely quite a bit on, you know, friends and family telling me stories about myself where I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. And I don't think there would be a lot of people who'd be surprised that I've gone into the field that I've gone into because I I, I was always sort of quite, um, I guess, just good at speaking and, and had a natural confidence to be able to do it, um, which, I, which I've honed over time as well. So I, I can't say that it's entirely natural, but if you're asking, you know, was I always this kind of um, – loud and outspoken yes yes I was Katrina (laughs) can you imagine how annoying that is I can because my parents say the same thing about me uh so I know you grew up 
with lots of strong female role models around you. You've got sisters, you went to an all-girls school. Was that important for you having that foundation? Um, I think probably in hindsight, again, yes. Um, I'm I'm really glad that I was surrounded by women. And, and I, I often talk about being in the estrogen ocean <laughs> because – you're right. I grew up only with sisters. Um, my grandmother was, um, well, she lived with us for, you know, 20 years. So I was living in a house with my mum, my grandmother, my two sisters. I was going to an all girls high school. So I was surrounded by girls. I didn't have any cousins who were boys who were my age. So it was really a very kind of, um, feminine heavy space, I guess. And that kind of gave me this idea that, you know, women, women are the same as men. Women do anything that men do. Women hold as much power as what men hold. Women run the show because they were just running the show, you know, for me growing up, which is not to say that my dad wasn't. He was a very, very kind of powerful influence and probably, maybe probably the most influential um, I know that sounds a bit weird saying that, you know, you grow up in the estrogen ocean and the most influential person is a man, um, that being my dad. But he, I think he was he was just so um, cautious, I guess, not to make us feel like we were any different to boys. Because, you know, my, my background's Lebanese and um, I, I can say this because it's true. It's It can be quite a patriarchal culture. You know, boys are valued um, there's this saying in Arabic when you are in a relationship, when you get married or when you're pregnant, they say, which means may you be granted a son, hmm. right? And it's it's this well wish and everybody means it well, I'm sure, but you will hear it time and time and time and time again. And so it ingrains in you this idea that somehow boys are more preferable to girls and my dad made a very strong point of making sure that we never felt that way to the point that I asked him, you know, dad, do you ever wish that you had sons? And, you know, he said to me, why would I wish that I had sons? I already wow. have sons, you oh, know? Wow. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's the sort of the stuff that kind of stays with me. And I think, I think that actually now reflecting on it was probably quite a boost to my confidence, yeah, you know? Yeah. This idea that you can do anything, yeah. Which side was the, the Lebanese influence from? Was it your mum's side or your dad's side? Both, mate. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Both sides of the tennis court. Yeah, both both my parents are, are of Lebanese descent. Um, and so it was. It, it's prevalent, you know, throughout the culture and it, it's changing, especially here in Australia, but I'm talking about when I grew up, which was the 90s and, and, and the 2000s. Yeah. You you have spoken a bit about what that was like and especially growing up in, in the western suburbs of Sydney and how you graduated and it wasn't that far from when the Cronulla riots happened, which um, that was at the very beginning of my career covering that in Sydney. Couldn't believe, mm. couldn't believe what was happening and that, it, and even reflecting back on it now, it's hard to believe that it was even so recent in history mm. how did that impact on you um well first of all it, it sort of took me a little bit by surprise um my dad my dad called, I was I was working in retail at um at a shopping center 
Um, and my dad calls and says, oh, you better turn on the TV. And I said, oh, I can't turn on the TV. I'm working. I'm at work. And he said, um, he said, well, something's happened. And I said, well, what's happened? And he said, you know, they, they hate us. And, God. you know, my dad can sometimes dramatize this stuff. It's true. Um, and I just thought, what, what, what on earth are you talking about, dad? And then um, I got to a television and saw those images of just hordes of people on Cronulla Beach draped in the Australian flag, holding up signs um, that said, fuck off lebs, and, you know, wearing these shirts that were like, I, I grew here, you flew here, the implication being that you have no right to call yourself an Australian, you don't belong here, fuck off. Um, and that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a weird and, and strange and difficult thing to see on, you know, uh, a, a, a weekday when you're selling jeans at the shopping center. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. Didn't expect to be told to fuck off on a national scale today, but here we are all over the news. Um, and so, yeah, it, it makes you feel, well, really it sort of just reinforces the point pretty strongly that you are an outsider um, and that you don't belong here and that your kind um, is not welcome here. And, you know, I, I know that the people that they probably had in mind when they were holding up those signs and maybe they didn't have a person like me in mind, maybe they think I'm one of the good ones or whatever it is. But um, at the end of the day, if you're holding up a sign that says, fuck off lebs you're talking to you know 250,000 people who live in Australia and who call this country home and who've contributed in extraordinary ways to this country um so it makes you feel like shit is the short answer to your question um and you know it's been over 15 years now and I'm not over it I I I still I still I still get this reflex reaction every time I see a street sign pointing to Cronulla and I sometimes I kind of berate myself for feeling that way but it's just it's such a reflex thing. It's like, oh, Cronulla, I just get the heebie-jeebies because of the Cronulla riots. Um, So, yeah, that's the short answer, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you then speak about, um, and you, you actually put something on Instagram really recently about um, your early foray into the media world, uh, and you were writing this in response to a Channel Nine. Um, it was meant to be; it was done in great with great intentions, but it was a, a an ad featuring all the Channel Nine personalities and trying to encourage people to get vaccinated. And you rightly point out that it looks like a promotional campaign for the White Australia policy. And you you wrote in there about what it was like uh, growing up and and leaving uni. And you said, when I graduated uni, I deliberately chose not to apply or seek out any commercial TV roles. I figured Channel 7, 9 or 10 didn't want to hire someone who had curly hair and Lebanese features, especially not three years after the Cronulla riots. Uh, In this country, you grow up feeling that certain paths are not yours to follow because of the colour of your skin. So take us back to that time. What was, for me, I left uni and, you know, I was told that I looked too young, but never once was it said to me, you've got the wrong colour skin or you, your hair's wrong. For you, though, it was, I guess, implied that, that you look different to other people applying for those jobs. What was that like? Um, you know, it was sort of just very matter of fact. 
um, I think at the time I just thought, well, that's that's the way it is. Why would I think that I could end up on commercial television when every indication was telling me otherwise? And this is one of those things. It's like nobody comes and does a presentation at your university and says, oh, you've got brown skin. Well, you you shouldn't apply for a Channel 7 or a Channel 9 or a, or a Channel 10 gig. It's never really that explicit, but it's this messaging that you'll see time and time and time again when you turn on the TV and everybody looks a certain way and you just you cannot see yourself in the foray of people who are, you know, in, in this case, bringing, bringing us the news, right? Um, and, and even today, and, and look, it, it is changing, but for example, like there's, there's no one who is say of African descent, or I see very few people of South Asian descent or even North Asian descent, or I don't see bigger girls on television. I don't see disabled people on television. I don't see trans people on television. Um, and, and all of these people, they exist in society, you know, and, and television is supposed to reflect us back at ourselves and you have to wonder I mean is, is it doing that um and if not why not so for me I guess the question wasn't really you know okay f- first of all the ad was about getting vaccinated and I just want to shout out kudos to channel nine for doing what the federal government has failed so wonderfully to do um and it, and I wasn't really so much questioning the fact that the the top Channel 9 presenters were presenting this ad because I think that's as it should be. You do want your top presenters presenting the ad. My question was more around sort of looking into why your top presenters are all white. I mean, that's that's a much more interesting question to me than why are these particular people in the ad. So um, for me, I think, and I, and I talked about this in the post, there is this sort of a pipeline that exists that sometimes you don't actually know that you exist, that it exists until you're the one being diverted away, right? So for me, it was always obvious that it existed because it impacted me in this particular way. But to people who, you know, um, who it doesn't affect, who might still feel like they can apply for those roles and who might end up getting those roles and who don't necessarily have to think about what they look like in those roles, then to them that that pipeline's not there because they've never felt that they've been diverted away from those jobs um, because of it. So yeah, I, I think it's sort of this. It's it's a little bit of a reckoning. I think that we're we're having certainly more publicly now, um, but it's a conversation that's just always always been there for people of you know, people of colour or, or, or people in minority groups who've been talking about this for decades among themselves um, and publicly where they can. But now the platforms exist for you to, you know, take that conversation out of your lounge room and onto a public space. And I think that's partly why we're hearing these conversations um, a little bit more often than what we used to, perhaps. Love that. When did you get the confidence to start calling people out on that stuff rather than just talking about it amongst your friends and family? Um, when did I? Wow, that's that's an interesting question. I don't I don't know if I necessarily found the confidence to do that and then did that, but I guess I did because hmm, I never think about that one. I think it's partly the the confidence comes partly from um, a community and solidarity with other people and just watching other people sort of do it 
and thinking, oh yeah, that's that's the same as what I feel. And and often other people, you know, calling things out or or not necessarily staying silent or sharing um, certain aspects of their stories, that then empowers you to do the same. And we see that now with you know um, the terrible stories that we hear coming out of Canberra, for example. Um, you know, Brittany Higgins says that she was inspired by Grace Tame. Um, speaking out and telling her story and you know since grace became australian of the year there have been so many people that have um either you know kind of spoken about this among their friendship circles or perhaps thought about being a little bit more open or more public about it and i think you know seeing someone else do it gives you the strength or sometimes it's just a nod that yeah you're not alone there are other people who are going through the same thing that you are and by speaking about it we're all sort of heading in the right direction um which i think i think to some extent is true i think the more that people you know talk about these issues the more you, you you're able to sort of shed some light on them and and hopefully rectify them right um, and so I, I feel to some extent em, emboldened by um, a community of people who are, you know, in the same boat and have the same perspective, but also emboldened a lot by the messages that I get from people who say, I'm so glad that you're doing this. You know, I'm Lebanese and I feel, um, you know, I, I, I love seeing you out there talking about this stuff, but also just sort of doing what it is that you do. So I, I gain a lot of kind of confidence from hearing people appreciate my posts and feeling as though, oh, the people do have a, you know, when I talk about graduating uni and, and not having anyone who looks like me, they do, you know, and, and that person is me and, and all of the other people who um, sort of speak for those, for, you know, young, diverse women, for example. Like when I, when I, when I say what I say and I, I I do what I do. I always have them front and center, you know, and I, I think to myself, if, if they were to shade me or if I was to get like a message from a young Leb chick from the Western suburbs, who's like, I hate your video. I would take that very personally. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would care quite deeply about that opinion. So it's sort of just um, a, a matter of, of just being very clear in who it is that you're centering and, and who you're speaking to and, and who you're speaking about. And, you know, giving a shit about their feedback. And I think that gives you just just the clarity, not so much the confidence, but the clarity to kind of do what you do. And confidence builds around that. You're listening to Claiming Your Confidence with me, Katrina Blowers and Jan Fran. Stick around because Jan's going to share a recent moment where she had to dig deep to overcome some self-doubt and she ended up knocking it out of the park. How do you deal with the haters? Because you would definitely get trolled. Yeah, you know, I don't get trolled as much as what people think I get trolled. Um, and I hope there's no trolls listening to this podcast too. <laughs> <laughs> like game on. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> you know, who have now heard that I don't get trolled and are seeking to rectify that. No, thank you. Um, I, I get people who, look, I, I, I absolutely get the comments on my social media pages. I get people fighting with each other in the Facebook comments in particular, um, which make me feel just tired and despondent. And I, I really try to engage 
I, I don't engage as much as what I used to. Um, I'll get some people, you know, call me names. And in those instances, I block hard, I block fast, I block early. Mm, mm. Um, I used to think that, oh, no, it's important to engage with people that have that are, have different opinions to you and that are, you know, critical of your work. But there's opinions and there's opinions. You know, if your opinion is that uh, people should be allowed to withdraw from their super to buy a house, great. That's your opinion. I can engage with your opinion. I don't have a problem with your opinion. But if your opinion is that I'm a stupid bitch, well, there's no there's no way that I'm going to engage with you. Yeah. And anybody asking me to can fuck right off because <laughs> that's just, I mean, that's done entirely in bad faith and I'm not interested in that, you know. Mm. I haven't called you a stupid bitch. I haven't even, I don't, I haven't gone onto your page. I haven't threatened you in any way. I haven't criticized your work. Um, and so I'm not going to engage with anybody who, who does that to me. And I have no problem blocking people for whatever reason I see fit. And I, I have this as one of my sort of rules on social media. It just says, I'll block you for whatever reason. And I will give you no explanation um, because I don't have to, you know, this yeah. is my, my page. And if you don't like my page and if you don't like my content, for the love of God, you're free to leave. <laughs> like this is, this is what blows my mind sometimes, Kat, honestly. Like if I don't like something that someone says, I just stop following them. Yeah, yeah. Or I just live my life. You know what I mean? Like that's fine. I don't. I don't feel the need to criticize them. I don't feel the need to criticize their appearance. I don't feel the need to tell them they're stupid. I don't, I don't feel any of that. Um, and I like to be treated how I treat other people. And so if I'm going to play by those parameters and then I expect everyone else to, and if they don't just peace off, mate, <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> Oh yeah, I I'm loving this. This is this you're speaking my language. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was when you left. So you went, you were, you got your cadetship at SBS. You worked there for a while, and then you just packed up, moved to Bangladesh, and then Uganda, bought a whole lot of gear, and just started oh, yeah. shooting stories. Unbelievable, and just so bolshy, and just sold stories back home. That must have been a huge adventure. You know what? It was a huge adventure. And looking back, I, 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 I can see the moments where I definitely felt stressed doing that. The big one was, you know, spending my savings buying camera gear. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and I ended, I ended up moving to Uganda because my partner at the time was setting up an NGO or helping to set up an NGO in um, the northern part of the country. And so that was the reason I kind of moved over there. Um, and I'm so glad I did. Like, it's, it's just, it's such a wonderful place to spend. Um, I think we were there maybe for two and a half months from memory, but I just, I decided that this is what I wanted to do. And so I decided, okay, well then I'm going to do it. How do I do it? I have savings. So I'm going to spend my savings on camera gear. I'm going to Uganda. So I went to Uganda um, and I thought, okay, I'm going to find some stories and I'm going to film them. And at this point I wasn't working for SBS at all. Um, I was not under any, I, I, yeah, I was, I was a free, I hadn't worked for them for months at that time. And there was no way I was going to, my plan was to always do that and then come back and say, Hey, look what I've got. I've got these stories, which is, you know, that kind of always, um, what's, what's the adage? Never ask 
permission. Yeah, um, ask, don't ask for forgiveness. Uh, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was almost, well, I'm, I'm not going to like tell them that this is my plan because they're going to say, you're absolutely not going to Uganda attached <laughs> yeah. to us in any way. I mean, the insurance is just going to go through the roof on that one. And so it was, that's, that was kind of my plan of like, all right, cool. Well, I'm just going to go and do this. And then I'm going to come back with these stories. And if there's one thing I know about media organizations, if you give them something good, they're not going to say no, because that program, the daily news is such a hungry beast. Yeah. You know, you are turning around content daily Yeah, and if it's good stuff um, and it's there, uh, they're, they're probably going to take it. Whereas if you go, oh, can I go and do this thing? There's so many hurdles that they have to jump yeah. through to get you to do the thing that it's probably not in their interest to jump through those hurdles. If mm. you take all those hurdles away, they're probably going to be more amenable to you. I'm not suggesting everybody fly to Uganda <laughs> and do what I did because you know that's yeah that's that that was a that was a particular flex, but but definitely kind of have the confidence to go after what it is that you want to do. And even if it doesn't pay off in the way that you want it to pay off, in, in my case it did in that specific example, but it might not pay off in the way that you wanted it to pay off. Who cares? You are still so much better for having done it than having done nothing at all. Yeah, absolutely. Love that story. And it says so much about you and the amazing positive energy that, that anyone who's ever been around you can can feel. Um, oh, I, thank you. Well, it's true. Too kind. I want to talk to you now about you on the project and, and the way that you are in the world right now. So you have made it onto commercial television in a really big role on a really big <laughs> show. But I love how even in this particular instance, you're just doing it your way. So you made a commitment last year, I think it was, that you weren't going to buy any new clothes and you were just looking at your wardrobe when you're working on a show on SBS and going, there's just, I'm just feeling like this, this is just overconsumption here. And it's true. Like I know from mm. Channel 7, it's just, you get so many clothes and it feels icky. So you decided you would buy nothing new for 2020, still going, I'm imagining. Yeah, this was in 2019. Oh, 2019. You're wearing vintage yeah. clothing. I think you're the only presenter on commercial television who wears vintage clothing and I love it. Yay. Um, hey, as much as I love being the only presenter on television wearing vintage clothing, I would highly recommend that everyone else do it as well, um, even though I do want to hold that title to myself. So <laughs> hmm, two conflicting ideas there. Um, yeah, so basically decided to um, not not buy anything new for those reasons of just wardrobe accumulating and accumulating. And it was accumulating with these dresses that were, you know, these very kind of cheap, yeah, you fast know, fashion. Um, yeah, just really yeah. fast fashion. That, and and you know, you work in television. T television wardrobes are a particular kind of wardrobe. In that, yeah. you can't have too many patterns. You need good, strong necklines. You need things that sort of fit on your your body and aren't too billowy. Um, nice, bright colours that look good on the TV. And so, these dresses were not really dresses that I would wear in my everyday life either. And so they kind of just sat there in, in the wardrobe and I thought, I don't, I have no idea where these are going to go. Like who else is going to wear these? And there's also this ethos that every presenter has to have her own 
wardrobe and you can't possibly wear the same yeah. thing twice and I mean yeah. I don't I don't buy any of that you absolutely can wear the same you can wear the same thing a hundred times well you guys know? do guys wear the yeah. same ties what well, was it Carl Stefanovic who wore the same tie every day for a year and no I one even he wore noticed the same suit every day did he not <laughs> and and no one even noticed and yeah I mean I tell you, if you wear the same dress again, the sky, it will not fall down. <laughs> it'll, it'll stay up there, you know. Um, and, and, so, and I think it's also something that, you know, people are thinking about more and more, particularly because fashion is so accessible. Like you just, mm. you press a button, you go, oh, I'm going, I'm going somewhere tonight. I want something new. You press the button. You can get it delivered to your door the same day if you want. Um, you wear it once, you take the photo for Insta. Yeah. And that cycle just ends up repeating. And it's like, like, where's all this stuff gonna go? Like, not only not only that, but what are all the resources that are, are, are being used up to, you know, make the clothes that you have? I mean, my, my partner was in Kmart the other day, the height of fashion, and he <laughs> said, Um, there's this t shirt that costs three dollars. And I thought, how what is the supply chain where a t shirt a fully made T-shirt costs three dollars. Like, do you know how much water? And there's it takes still a profit margin. A... Yeah. And there's still a profit margin, and and you know you you have to pay the people that make these clothes, and it's it, it kind of just blew my mind of just like man, something is askew here. And so when I decided not to do that in in 2019, honestly, it was it was a very loose goal. I don't like I'm not an all or nothing type of person well in some instances I am but in this I was like look I'm just going to get as close to the goal as possible and that's going to be better than doing nothing right um and I've just found it so much fun Katrina like that was the one of the biggest surprises of no new clothes was how fun it was to buy no new clothes because suddenly it gives you all this permission to you know look like Alexis Carrington from Dynasty you're like well I'm not buying any new clothes I can wear this insanely garish blazer on television and everyone just goes yeah I guess you can you know so it's like all right and I like part of me was just sort of like trying this on I was like cool I'm just gonna see how far I can push this before someone goes I'm sorry what are you wearing but so far that hasn't happened so no pushback from channel 10 no, they've been the best. I went shopping with um, one of the stylists the other day, just op shop shopping. No, they're totally on board. They they love it, um, oh. and I lo- I love going shopping with them as well. And you know, coming in and going, oh, what what clothes do we have? And like, oh, we got this this little dress that we got from this particular op shop. I was like, that this is beautiful. Yeah, they would be loving that because it would be so different to anything they've ever done before. Yeah, fully. Um, everyone sort of jumped in head first with it, um, which. You know, I'm really happy about because you know, if if I did have pushback, I'd sort of feel like, oh, what a bummer. That that would have mm. been a bummer. But no, absolutely no pushback, quite the opposite. Mm. Now we're getting to the end of our time together, but I do have four quick questions that I finish up on. I'd love to know if someone came to you and they're like, Jan, how do you do it? Like, I would love to do what you do. I'd love to put myself out in the world a bit more boldly. What would be your number one confidence tip? Um, I would say feel the fear and do it anyway, um, which is the title of a book, incidentally. But I also, I, I, I really like that because sometimes people ask me, you know, aren't, aren't you scared? And I say, yes, I'm scared all the time, you know, because there's this idea that you ha- somehow have to overcome your fear before you can do anything. And I don't think that's true. I think you do the thing first and that helps you overcome the fear. 
Um, so to people who say, how do I put myself out there a little bit more boldly? I'd say start, start anywhere, start anywhere and, and be as genuine as you can be in what it is that you're putting out there. So when do you get scared? Do you get stage fright? Um, I mean, I, I get nervous. I definitely get nervous sometimes, um, before I do, before I do things. I did the comedy debate at the comedy festival in Melbourne, um, a few months ago and I was definitely nervous ahead of doing that because, um, not a comedian, yeah. as, you know, as I sometimes have to um, remind people. And, and here I was sharing the stage with these extraordinary comics. So funny. They, they were all absolutely funnier than what I was. And I'm, I'm a journalist, you know, and journalists are deeply unfunny people, as you know, Katrina. <laughs> I can attest. Yes. You know, we can <laughs> slag off our own people. It's okay. Yeah. And yeah, and, and I had this, I had this kind of moment where I was like, I can't, oh man, what if I suck? Like, what if I really suck and I get no laughs and it's really embarrassing. And then I had to think, you know what? There's a bunch of people who think that you can do this. Your agent thinks you can do this. The person that's got you on the festival thinks you can do this. Your co-teammates um, think you can do this. The director thinks you can do this. Like if they think you can do this, then shut the fuck up and do it. Because yeah. they obviously see something there that either you're not seeing or you're a little bit unsure of. And so it was kind of like, all right, well, they're, you know, well put together people. They know what they're talking about. If they think I can do this, then I'm just going to trust them. You know? You've just got to get out of your own way half the time, right? Yeah, half the half the time it's exactly that. It's like, oh, well, hang on, I'm the biggest impediment to myself here. Mm. So get out of your own way. Um, and just trust, if you don't trust in yourself, at least trust in the people who are trusting in you. And by the way, I saw a lot of publicity around that particular event that you were talking about and you smashed it out of the park. Oh man, the publicity couldn't have gone better because, um, the reviewer gave the debate four stars, right? And then they used a a very old, but very hot picture of just me. Oh, it wasn't, yes. it wasn't, there wasn't, there was no one else's picture was in, and in the cover. And in, it wasn't even a picture from the debate. It was just this like a hot picture of me in a red dress. And I was like, wow, I could not have orchestrated this any better. <laughs> Deeply unfair for everyone else involved. But Great thank you, universe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you, universe and um, the age. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a book that you've read or even a quote that you love that's really helped you on your way? Yeah, I've got a bunch of quotes. Love a good quote. Um, the quote that I <laughs> that I use often is, when God closes a door somewhere, he opens a window. Yeah, I love that too. Which uh, I learned from the Reverend Mother on The Sound of Music. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's a quote. <laughs> Really, it it totally stuck with me. I was like, that Reverend Mother, she's all over it. She, she knows her stuff. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes we know when people are having a shit go, I'm like, you know what? When God closes the door, somewhere he opens the window, there's an open window. Yeah. You've got it, you've got to find that open window. Um, there's another one I like, which is struck through the fire, which I feel like I made up, but um it's just this idea that Sometimes you can't you can't go around obstacles, you can't ignore them being there, you can't they're there, you have to just dive in, you have to go head first. And rather than walk through it, just strut through it, strut back. Love that. Love yeah. it. I had a I had a camera um 
a DOP who I was working on on a project a few years ago and he used to always say the obstacle is the way. The obstacle huh. is the way. That's the very deep. Is, it is. And I, and, I, and I was just like, what are you talking about? The talent's fallen through. The obstacle's not the way. That's clearly not the way. Um, but it is the way. The obstacle is the way. I really like leaning into the challenge actually being the solution rather than this thing that's challenging the thing that you think you're supposed to be doing. Let go of what you think you're supposed to be doing and kind of move in the direction of the universe, I suppose. I know that all sounds a bit woo-woo, but I really do believe that. Yeah, I love that. What do you do for pure joy, something that has no goal or outcome attached? Hate joy, Katrina. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's such a good question and something that I really quite grapple with a lot um, because I don't have any discernible hobbies. (laughs) um (laughs) I don't play I'm not I don't do art and I I don't play any musical instruments um but I really enjoy playing squash that's one thing I do for pure joy but you are very competitive yeah I was gonna say pure joy and pure rage yeah um (laughs) sometimes both of those things feel the same um but I, 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 I love, I love it. I love it. I, and I hate exercise and sport, but when I, when I get into that squash court and you open the door and it's, you know, it's there and all the lights are on because it's really, really bright in squash courts and there's the wall and you got, it's just, it's the best feeling. It's like, okay, cool. I'm going to have, I'm going to have a intense one hour, um, in this little box. And so, yeah, that, that does bring me a lot of joy. And now that I'm saying it, I feel like I haven't played it in, in quite a while. I should should get back on that Get call. back into it. Yeah. And finally, this has been such an awesome chat with you. Love chatting to you. But finally, I would love to know, what are you working on right now in your confidence journey to take you to where you next want to go in your life? I think I'm learning from other people, to be honest. I think I'm trying to um, sponge up a bunch of what other people do. So I'm, I'm sort of just keenly observing the way other people present. Sometimes on the project I kind of I, I just observe the way that people might and it's it's a very sort of subtle art. Um, shout out to Tommy Little who's just so great at it. Like he is just such a natural, easy broadcaster. Um, and I think that there's a lot that you can learn um, from from people like that, even if their intention is not necessarily to teach you, just by them doing what it is that they're doing, you can kind of like pick up on on the the nuances and and think, okay, well, how can I how can I how can I emulate that in a style that is my own? So yeah, observing and and kind of trying to sponge up info. Love that. Thank you so much for having this beautiful chat. I feel like I've learned even more about you now and it's been great. So many laughs. So I really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat. Oh, pleasure, mate. Thank you for having me. Stay connected by following Claiming Your Confidence or me, Katrina Blowers, on Instagram. For more information on this or other episodes, head to katrinablowers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and make sure you share it with anyone you think would benefit from a confidence pick-me-up. Claiming Your Confidence is created and produced by me, Katrina Blowers. Audio thanks to Turner. 
Perm 6 podcast productions. I hope you're having a great week. Thank you for listening to Claiming Your Confidence.